Thank you for joining me at 9394, a music podcast with Travis Roy. I am Travis Roy. This is the music podcast. We're going to bring the motherfucking ruckus today. That's what we're going to do. We're going to be doing that with my good old friend, Brian Madison, who I've known since the early days of high school. He is a cool customer. Let me tell you about that. He is one of those guys that's just, you know, he's always got his fucking eye on the prize. He is a solid dude. And it's funny. I remember when I was in high school and I befriended a couple older kids when I was a freshman, you know, like not even that much older, like a sophomore and a junior, you know, and I was like, oh, <laughs> these guys are so much older and so much cooler than me. You know, it's was, was like oh, looking up to them and shit, which, you know, that's 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 normal. That's OK. And it seemed like such a big deal to me. But I remember when I was a junior and a senior, I made friends with all kinds of sophomores and freshmen and didn't think shit about it. One thing about our clan in high school, we crossed a lot of grade boundaries. I don't know that we crossed a ton of racial or class boundaries. There was maybe not a ton of those to cross in the school that we went to in rural southeastern Michigan. But... I tell you what, we definitely had friends of all ages. And here's one of my good old friends, Brian. He brought me back, man. He brought me back by choosing this album. This podcast has been quite the time capsule from time to time, cracking it open and just, you know, you can smell the weed smoke wafting out. I'm really glad Brian came on. He's a great guy. He's a good friend. So let's talk 36 Chambers, Nine Hearts, Beating is One. Let's do it. Hey, dude, how's it going? I'm recording now. (laughs) Okay. All right. Um, So this is your first time on this podcast, but not your first time on a podcast with me. You've been with me on Cinema 9 before. Tell the people how you and I know one another, Brian. Well, okay. We go way back. Uh, My math is, for some reason, escaping me right now. But, I mean, uh, (laughs) freshman year of high school, 1996. For you. Because you, you were yeah, a year behind me. me, right? Yeah, I was a year behind you. It's the first time. Yeah, when I was a freshman, you were a junior. That's right. So sophomore, senior. Yeah. So um, yeah. I've known you since I was 14 years old, coming into the heartland of public education system, right? So I was coming from Child of Christ, a private Lutheran school, right? And then I mm. went to the big old like Heartland High School, right? So at least it was big to me at the time. But yeah, so that was the first time I encountered you, and you were like the resident, like. I don't know, like the punk rock godfather, if you will, right? Like it was like, like you were a gateway to all sorts of music and um, the subculture of punk rock, especially like West Coast punk too as well, you know, like all the fat records and, and all that type of stuff. So that was my like first impression of you. I was like, this dude is way too fucking cool for school. So I got to get to know this guy. <laughs> it's very sweet of you. Yeah, I believe I met you through my high school girlfriend, Kristen. Did she not go to that same school with you? <laughs> yeah, she also went to Child of Christ. Yeah, we were in the yeah. same grade. Yep, yep. So I believe, I think I kind of got to know you through her, but we also had some other mutual friends, Ryan Garvok. Yeah, Garvok. I really got to know uh, Harvey and Branstrom from Mrs. Barra's art class too as well. Yeah, our high school was very interlocked, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. There was not a lot of division between the grades. We were all buddies. Yeah, chances are if you even did time on a skateboard at all or if you listen to any type of 
subversive like punk rock music like chances are you're buddies with all the other like-minded folks that's pretty much what it took like do you listen to not country (laughs) and like hippie music yeah and even then a lot of those people were our friends too so (laughs) yeah no for sure man Let's get into the woo, though. Let's 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 rip it hardcore, like porno flick B words. Let's. <laughs> so, how did you come to this album? Okay, so just to give a little bit of background as to how I got to this album, it's all important personally for me. But as I already mentioned, uh, I went to Child of Christ, right? So, a Lutheran private school. So, I was the only Asian kid. <laughs> at Child of Christ, okay? Nobody looked like me at Child of Christ. And then I go to Heartland Public High School. I am still the only Asian kid in that entire school, as far as I knew. I think there was one other, his name was Sean, but him and I didn't talk and he was like a year younger than me. But mm-hmm. that, that's the thing, that's like the separation. There was nobody else that looked like me. So up until that point, I have Data and I have, uh, you know, Long Duck Dong. Oh, These no. are the only like Asian faces I see in media, right? Oof. The faces that I'm seeing are, are usually jokes or caricatures, you know, even martial arts films at the time, you know, especially in America, it's, it's dominated by like white guys, right? Like. I'm not saying I'm beyond like a Jean-Claude Van Damme like flick or, or Steven Seagal at that time, but that's really all I had until I realized, oh, there's somebody named Jackie Chan. There's somebody <laughs> named this or that or whatever. Yeah. I'm like, oh, there's these actual like real deal motherfuckers, right? But they're not that prevalent in the United States yet, right? So at the time that the 90s come around, especially 1993, the year that we're talking about, mm-hmm. you have like some seminal hip hop albums, right? You have Tupac coming out strictly for my brothers. You've got Snoop Dogg, which is probably... You know, out of the hip hop albums in 93, like Doggy Style is probably like the biggest one. It's a huge album, Doggy yeah. Style, right? Yeah. But you know, I don't think it's better than 36 Chambers. But And then you got Dr. Dre dropping the chronic like a year prior. So like hip hop is starting to become like this huge thing. In the same vein that like, you know, somebody like Chili Peppers, you know, they come out with a song called Californication, where the West Coast kind of sort of permeates through the rest of the country. Mm-hmm. New York hip hop, that permeated, like hip hop in general permeates through the entire country at pretty much the same time. But like what Wu-Tang does, when I encountered 36 Chambers, because I didn't encounter it in 93, now I encountered it in 95. But when it happened in 95, eighth grade, right? Blake Young okay. brings in Doggy Style and he brings in 36 Chambers at Charlie Christ in eighth grade. I'm like, what the hell is this? <laughs> the 36 Chambers though, that is the album where I'm like, wait a minute. So black culture, which is kind of like cool culture at the time, right? Only at that time, never any other time in America. I, but I mean, yeah, exactly, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it's like, wait a minute. So these guys are like, not only taking Asian culture and they're not like making fun of it. Right. It's not something ironic. They're not making like characters of it. They're like, no, RZA actually loves this shit. Yeah. And there's how many members? There's nine, nine. members in this group. <laughs> what is going on? Like this is even the cover of 36 Chambers. You see something like Dog Star or The Chronic or you know, Tupac or whatever, you got some pastels, you got some cartoonish, you got some like weird stuff, but like the cover, you don't know what these guys look like. <laughs> like, they're like, wait a minute, they have like freaking white masks on. Yeah. They're like, well, what is going on with this? And then you hear it. You're like, this is amazing. Like, I, I don't know what this is. To this day, there is not an album that sounds like that. When I heard that album for the first time in the eighth grade, I was like, holy crap, black culture championing my culture. And like, it's cool. And like, people are digging this. Like, <laughs> I guarantee you, if you ask any other same generation person of our generation, you mentioned 36 Chambers, I guarantee you, even if they don't like hip hop, they're like, oh yeah, that album slaps, man. Like, I guarantee <laughs> you, they'll be like, 
that was a seminal moment, I think, yeah. in Asian culture. You raise an important point. Uh, you know, I have not had to discuss my race on this show at any point because it just never felt relevant to what I was talking about. But in this case, now we're talking about Wu-Tang Clan, and I'm talking with you, one of the only Asian-American people that went to my high school, in a county that was 99% white, right? Oh, yeah. There's Like 99.5% yeah. <laughs> yeah. white? I mean, it's an yeah. extremely white area that we come from. I was born in the Howell Hospital, and the word clan has a very different meaning out in Howell. Yeah, good old Howell. Yeah. <laughs> this was, it, was, mm -hmm. it was definitely different. And I'm glad you mentioned, like, I did not start listening to this in 1993 either. I think most Midwestern kids did not start listening to this in 1993. It, it like, took a while. Yeah, it had a trickle. It takes a while to permeate. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It had a trickle across the country and kind of enter schools. But man, once this kind of like entered our friends group, I can think of few albums that it became like the lingo in a lot of ways, right? Oh, for sure. Me and a lot of my white friends were awfully really uncritically comfortable appropriating all kinds of language that we should not be saying, but we were like all walk around saying, word is bond, word is bond, word is bond. Like we would say that, say that all the time. Like, yo, yo, God, word is bond. Yo, God, word is bond. God, God, word is bond. God, word is bond. God, God. Yep. <laughs> yep. The whole album. Yeah. But, but that's the thing just about hip hop really opened up a gateway, right? Like it was, um, like a, a lot of people credit Dr. Dre for this, right? Like it's 92, the chronic drops and like, it's all of a sudden like white suburban kids, it's almost interesting, like, you know, West Coast punk rock and hip hop hits right about the exact same time. Mm -hmm. And like, they are both hugely influential. And it's like white suburban kids just pissing off their parents and, you know, like yeah. you know, just rage, but you don't know why, even though everything's Aimless cool. Angst. Yeah, you're growing up in the suburbs, whatever. But it's just like that teenage angst and hip hop and punk rock kind of sort of converge, right? Uh, right at the same time, and a bunch of white kids are like talking like crazy. They're talking like they live on the West Coast. They're talking, you know, like they grew up in the boroughs or something like that. And it's <laughs> definitely not the case. New cornfields. Yeah. But like one of the other interesting things about hip hop, too, as well, is that, you know, the genre in general has never concerned itself with like particular race barriers. So like money's money, man. So if we're making money, like that's like the biggest thing, right? And that's one of the things Wu Tang was trying to do with this album, too, as well. Riza is kind of like the guy that's thinking in the long term, right? Mm -hmm. Like he's like, this is just the beginning. It all starts with 36 Chambers for sure. Do you remember getting a copy of this? Like, did you get a physical copy? Did you burn it? Did you buy it? How'd that happen? Oh, yeah. So Blake brought in, he had two cassettes, right? Like I said, Doggy Style and 36 Chambers. Uh -huh. I was like, all right, I got to go get some, some cassettes, right? So this is right also around the time, I think just about for everybody, seventh, eighth grade is when you start buying music, yeah, you know? Yeah, sure. And then I did the BMG thing. Of course. <laughs> you were BMG. Yeah. The Columbia <laughs> House's ugly little brother. One penny. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Right. Like just this ridiculous. Yeah. We'll just send out like seven albums for a penny <laughs> to whoever. We're not even going to follow up. <laughs> and then we'll just send threatening letters afterwards. Yep. To be like, you need to pay us this money. Like, to the, children. fuck yourself. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> to yeah. kids. Yeah. To a 13-year-old kid. Like, yeah, <laughs> no, not happening. But that's what I did. I did BMG. And uh, two weeks later, I had everything from like Pearl Jam to 36 Chambers, right? So that was the first time. That bulk, that, those yeah. seven cassettes were like the beginning of everything. You cast a pretty wide net in terms of genre, I guess, with your BMG collection. I, I'm glad you picked this album because already this podcast that I'm doing has leaned heavily towards like indie and alternative and will continue to do so because that was what was oh, for sure. particularly yeah. influential to me. And you're right, around the time that we started getting into this album was also when I was moving heavily into punk rock. But I kind of forgot just how classic this album is to me, you know, because I hadn't listened to it in a long time. I put it in. I'm like, oh, my God. Like, right. I just entered a fucking portal into ninth grade or 10th grade. Very wild to just like suddenly 
I remember it all so well. Like I'd be able to sing along carefully, very carefully <laughs> sing along. It's all still there. You know, obviously I've been listening to a little bit more lately since sure. I knew I was going to do this podcast, but right. just today I went to go pick up some brunch for me and Alina. And on the way I'm like, all right, yeah, I'll pop it in again. So, or popping in up ahead on a spotify <laughs> yeah man that opening like bring the ruckus is like they bring the fucking ruckus drive they do bring the motherfucking ruckus bring the motherfucking ruckus bring the mother bring the motherfucking ruckus bring the motherfucking ruckus Ghost face, catch the blast of a hype verse. My clock burst, leaving a hearse. I did worse. I come rough, tough like an elephant tusk. Your head rush, fly like Egyptian must. Bring the Ruckus is always that opening. That's by the way, that's like top five opening tracks of any album for me, too, as well. Is Bring the Ruckus, Bring the motherfucking Ruckus. So it sets the tone, man. <laughs> that's the that's the phrase. It sets, it sets the, the tone. fucking tone. It just tears the lid off, and like, here you are. Dig in. Yeah. Jesus. Starts off with like straight up sample from, you know, Shaolin versus Wu Tang and then goes into bring the motherfucking life. like come on. Like that's Let's dig into the specifics of the album a little bit more. Uh, do you have a favorite song off this album? Can you name one favorite song off this album? Oh, so it has to be The Mystery of Chess Boxing. Okay. The opening lyrics are probably my favorite lyrics. <laughs> like you know, like cocaine straight from Bolivia. I mean, come on, man. Like it's like that, that song, man, that song just fucking is awesome, man. Like, I, I can't even describe it any better than that. Like, that song just fucking slaps hard. Yeah. And that beat, the tempo, everybody coming in, like, it's, man, yeah. Chess Boxing is probably my favorite song off that album. Yeah, it comes in pretty hot. You get a chance there to sample a little bit more of the rappers, of, of the rap group. Um, of of, of of the of Voltron, you know, you you get it a little bit more yeah. of them instead of just like two or three guys. You get almost everyone exactly. I think there's a reason why it's kind of a center point of the album for sure, man. Yes, so chess boxing is definitely up there. Protect your neck. Okay, what's up with Spotify and the fucking still being censored protect your neck? Did you notice that? And even if you turn off the filters, I still don't. You're like, yeah, no, it's totally fine. I, I totally want to hear. Give me all the cuss words. I can handle it. I don't get it either. I have no idea what's so going on. Weird. It's a little, like it's just it's fucking weird. It's marked yeah. as explicit and everything, and then you look at the lyrics, and the lyrics are it says motherfucker, shit, it says all this stuff, but you listen to it, it's like. Yeah, you know, it's like this weird guitar kind of sound. Like, this is fucking Bro, I don't know. I don't know. And uh, it's really fucking interesting. It is. 
All right, so how about a track on the album that's kind of, if you can think of one, like an unsung, the underappreciated hero of the album that's like not an obvious go-to for people? Because Chessbox is kind of, that was a single, you know? Method Man is definitely like, that shit's crazy. Like you got nine members and then Method Man gets his own fucking song. Yeah. But then the fucking song's great. <laughs> how did that happen? I don't know how the hell it happened either. It's almost like Rizzo was like, no, he's going to be the guy. Yeah. And sure enough, he's the one that has the first solo album. He's the breakthrough. Yeah. Him and Old Dirty Bastards seem to be like oh, the yeah. original breakthrough artists. And ODB, by the way, is low-key one of the greatest MCs of all time. But unfortunately, he passed way too young, obviously. But ODB Far is like, young. Jesus, man. But Return to the 36 Chambers, I mean, I could do a whole other episode on that one, too. But So I think Method Man, I think, is like the unsung song because it's kind of heralding the beginning of what Method Man is and is going to be. And yeah, I think he's got, other than ODB, the most charisma, right? He's got the best skills too as well, I think, other than Rizzo. Yeah, you know, it's it's funny you say that because it's like, that's such an important part of what they're doing. It's not just their individual styles. It's like their personalities are really coming through. One of the things about the album that's funny to me, especially when I was younger, I've gotten better at differentiating between the different artists now. When I was a kid, I'm like, okay, so that's Old Dirty Bastard. That's Method Man. And I knew Ghostface because I had his solo album. (laughs) But that was it. The rest of them, I had no (laughs) fucking idea. It was like years before I even learned that RZA was rapping. I thought he was just making music. And I'm like, oh, okay. So he's really, really important. (laughs) Like, I didn't appreciate Raekwon. He's on almost every track. Like, I just didn't know. They're like such a nerdy group in terms of their lyrical content. But it also gave people like an opportunity to get nerdy about them as a group. Cause then like, it'd be like a badge of honor that you could differentiate and be like, Oh, that's Jizza. You know, that's inspector mm-hmm. deck. Our friend, Steve Guile, who was particularly obsessed with his album. He could do that. And I was always like, wow, you can tell their voices. I'm amazed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, Guile is savant, you know, in, in certain ways, especially when it comes to music, man. This is true. Yeah. That's the thing. It was kind of hard to differentiate especially somebody like Raekwon and Jizza too as well. Like some of them do sound like very, very similar, right? But like Method Man yeah. and ODB, I think is part of the reason why they broke out is because they're so much more distinct. That's a good point. Right? They're so much more distinct. Yo, hut one, hut two, hut three, hut. Old dirty bastard, live and uncut. Styles unbreakable, shatterproof. To the young youth, you wanna get gun? Shoot, blah! How you like me now? Don't fuck the style, ruthless wow. Do you wanna get your teeth locked the fuck out? Wanna get on and like that? Well then shout! Your RZA, your razor, hit me with the major, the damage, my clan understand it, be flavor, gunning, coming, coming at you, first I'm gonna get you once I got you, I got you, you can never capture the method man stature, for bombing, for Is there a least good song on the album from you? Is there one you could sing aloud and be like, eh, I could do without? You know, honestly, <laughs> it's honestly the skits. Some of the skits, I'm like, you nailed it. <laughs> skits and hip hop are like a time-honored tradition that <sighs> it's 50-50, man. It's either the like, Okay, that's kind of funny, but most of them usually end up being dated. I do like, uh, it's not really a skit, but they're talking about the plan. It's not really a skit, but it's almost like they're doing like an interview of what the plan for Wu-Tang is. And it's fucking amazing. They're laying down the blueprint of everything that they're doing. When they're being interviewed? Yeah. Other than that, all the others, I'm just like, eh. 
I could do without the skits, man. Dude, and the skits also like they're part of the track. You can't yeah. skip them. You have, to, you have to like sit there and be like, okay. And some of them are kind of fun. They're okay. Yeah. But like when the guy's like talking about like smashing nuts and like oh, yeah, sticking stuff up yeah, someone's yeah, but, butt, yeah. I'm like, oh, like, okay, like I could yeah, do yeah, without yeah. this. Yeah, yeah. I'll fucking I'll fucking cheeks or whatever. You're like, I fucking, I fucking Well, method, method, what's going on? What are you talking yeah, about? <laughs> some sexual uh, tension here um but yeah it's also like it kind of breaks up the vibe of the album a little bit too much for me you know because it, it's such yeah. a banger of an album you kind of want it to keep going and then like you're kind of like oh okay we're gonna stop and yeah. you know skits are it's it's a love-hate relationship for me uh for for all <laughs> of hip-hop and i i could do without most of them i can say that i'm inclined to agree with you When I think about this album, especially back in the '90s, there's like uh, a lot of weed smoking, lots mm. of lots of weed smoking, lots of hot boxing in someone's oh, car, oh, man. driving yep. around on some yep. dirt road, listening to this album, <laughs> like we're like we're tough, like we're hard. See, it was right? I always called it clam baking, right? And other yes. people call it hot boxing. Other, there's like different terms for it, but yes, keeping the windows rolled up and smoking a big old joint with your best friends in a car moving. Uh, yeah, which is so stupid, but yeah, we, we did that. You know, it's funny um, that you mentioned that because hotboxing, just a quick aside here, it's one of those like weed terms that I found like hotboxing in Michigan means like to smoke really, really fast. Right. Clam yeah. baking would be like to like smoke out a car and keep the windows up. <laughs> but um, when I would hang out with, again, Steve Guile, we would go to Indiana and Indianapolis a lot and hang out with his buddies down there. And they oh. called hotboxing like being in the car with the windows all rolled up. You're like backwards, fucking backwards. Like, I'm sorry, you're doing your weed terminology wrong. <laughs> but I guess it, I guess it stuck with me. But it's also been a while since I've remembered those days of driving on those fucking dirt roads and listening to it's a little hazy. this while smoking lots of it's, it's a little hazy. A little hazy. We drove <laughs> Travis, we rode down dirt roads with the windows up, traveling probably at a speed that's probably not advisable, even under the best <laughs> conditions, smoking a joint. Yeah. <laughs> like what insane. On like those, what do they call it? Those dirt roads when it's like washboard roads and it's all like, yeah, one of your friends would have the idea. No, you got to go just really fast over the potholes. But that's how you, <laughs> that's how you protect your under you. Like you just go really fast. Like, oh, okay. Cool, for the man. suspension. Yeah, absolutely, man. Yeah, yeah. You just fly right over the potholes. <laughs> Jesus, man. But yeah, uh, those, those are the memories I associate with, you know, friends, Mike Quick, Eric Hansen. Yeah, smoking lots of weed. Mike Quick, man. Good dude. He's saving lives now. He's a freaking like nurse manager right now or something like that. But yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, man. Yeah. So you guys both went into the medical field. Go figure. Yeah, we both went into the medical field. It's crazy. Some of us just kept smoking weed on dirt roads. <laughs> hey, well, you know, look, <laughs> I, I work at a VA and I tell all the veterans all the time, and me being a veteran too as well, I'm like, look, smoke weed. Don't take antidepressants. Just smoke weed. Everybody hear that? From a doctor. Everybody heard that. Yeah. <laughs> it's from a doctor. Do you have any other criticisms for the album? I don't know about criticisms. I mean, look, obviously I love this album. And mm -hmm. like I said, there really is nothing that sounds like this album, even in hip hop. Maybe some crazy like Kanye stuff might come close to it because I mean, it kind of sort of rips like RZA's style every once in a while. But it kind of came after, right? Yeah, it came after. And he's, you know, it's the building blocks for a lot of hip hop. I mean, you can even find influences in trap music, right? Like trap music kind of mm -hmm. sort of has something to borrow from RZA and Wu-Tang in, in general. This is it. Like it's really comes down to, I think, the Chronic, Dr. Dre, which is West Coast, mm -hmm. and then Wu-Tang, New York. Mm -hmm. Like Nas yeah. comes like right around the same time. 
as Wu Tang, but like it's really mm -hmm. Wu Tang and Dr. Dre that are really responsible for most of hip hop from the 90s and beyond. This album, and hip hop is a genre that I'm less familiar with than others, but it feels so incredibly influential. It feels like putting it on, I'm like, oh my God, this is like putting on, I don't know, Nirvana or Jimi Hendrix or Bob Dylan. For sure, before they're huge. Exactly, it's just so classic. And I don't know that they get in like everyday conversation, the accolades that they deserve and the praise that they deserve for their major influence, not just on music, but I think on like American culture. No, absolutely, man. Like I said, I swear to God, after this, just find some random 35 to 50 year old mm -hmm. Asian person and just ask them, hey, what do you think about 36 Chambers? They'll be like, I fucking love that album, man. Like the Asian community <laughs> loves it in LA and the Asian community, they're like, yeah, we fucking love 36. Like, yeah, absolutely, man. That's great. That's the great thing about it. And also, you know, to your point of talking about how classic this album sounds, mm -hmm. I can't tell you the last three like Drake albums. I can't even tell you the titles <laughs> of those albums, right? He's the most streamed person on Spotify. The right. most one of the most famous people in the world. Absolutely. I couldn't tell you a single song. <laughs> I couldn't tell you the names of the albums. Every song sounds the same. His voice never changes. Like, I don't want to be the old guy that's poo-pooing like modern hip hop because there's plenty of people that are that are far better than I am be doing that right now. But I'm telling you right now, like rap now is like, so I'm not saying it's garbage and I'm not going to go as far as Eminem being like, you know, all you mumblecore rappers need to die. But what I am <laughs> saying is that I cannot as a hip hop head, like I cannot even tell you Drake's last three albums. Whereas if you put on 36 Chambers, I think 90s hip hop and even maybe early aughts hip hop too as well. But there is a huge difference. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know. Are, are people going to be talking about Drake like 25 years from now? I mean, maybe if he's still rapping, I don't know. But I mean, are people going to be talking about 36 Chambers 25 years from now? They still will be, I think. Because uh, I think that album is, it's classic, right? As far as classic can be in hip hop, like that is a classic hip hop album for sure. The Library of Congress has sealed it like in their national archives as being of great, important cultural relevance. God damn. I think that says everything. Will people be talking about Drake in 25 years? Yeah, Drake fans will be, right? For sure. But again, I'm not like the best person to talk about this, but I get the feeling that he's not reinventing the wheel the way that the woo did no he, right he, like no. people may talk about him but he's they're not, not. going to talk about him in terms of there was before him and after him to me it seems like there's woo before and after right yeah that's basically it yeah have you always stuck with this album or did you ever kind of like set it down and walk away from it for a long time like i did clearly yeah i mean i set it down for a bit you know because when uh wu-tang forever comes out mm -hmm. 1997, I think, 97 or 98. Around there. I was still in high school. Great album. Mm -hmm. Not as good as 36 Chambers. No, and also, you've got Jewish. a bunch of solo projects in between there. And you got Method Man's Tycho, which is amazing. You got ODB, Return to the 36 Chambers. Amazing, right? Yeah, I liked Iron Man quite a bit. Yeah, exactly, right? Although it took a lot of like cognitive dissonance or just straight up ignorance on my part to like be like, Ghost Face Killer. He must not like ghosts. <laughs> He really doesn't like these ghosts. No. Oh, but like, 
I never got to see them live either. I was trying to get tickets to when they toured with Rage mm-hmm. when they came through. <sighs> what a show that would have uh, been at the man. Palace. Yeah, Damn. and I was never able to get to it. But then you hear about the stories. Like the issue with Wu Tang is like I'm kind of glad what happened to them happened to them. The story of their tour with Rage is like notorious and like legendary at the same time. Tell me, I don't know it. They basically just flubbed. There was so much infighting and arguing going on, oh. and they had never been on a tour before, especially with one as big as like with Rage Against the Machine. They just didn't understand mm-hmm. like the, um, or they, you know, maybe they just didn't give a shit. I mean, that, that's such yeah. that's such a Wu Tang thing. Like, I don't give a fuck. Whatever, fuck your shit. <laughs> I don't care. But like, they just didn't understand what it takes to be on a tour, and like half the shows they just like. A couple of them didn't even show up. Like they're they're just That's like amazing. nah, we're we're good. Rage Zach De La Roja, you, you're good. Tom Morello, go fuck <laughs> yourself. We're fine. You know, like no, it's cool. We're just not going to play Pennsylvania. I'm sorry. They're like, what the fuck are you doing, man? Oh man, that must have been so frustrating for everybody yeah. involved that gave a shit. And then get this: the other opening act was I don't know if you remember the Atari Teenage Riot. <laughs> I do. Yeah, that's a weird <laughs> mix, man. <laughs> you got Atari Teenage Riot, Wu Tang, and Rage Against the Machine. Obviously, like that's that's insane, man. But I tried to get tickets to that. I was not able to get tickets, obviously. But I guess they I'm actually played the show at Arbor Hills. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, I remember when that happened, but people went. I did not. I never saw them live either. Yeah, I, I did not see them live either. I did hear that early on, when like when this was being recorded, that Rizzo would like, charge some of the guys in the Wu-Tang Clan to have their verses included or something <laughs> like that. And that they would like make them like, rap battle one another for like the <laughs> right to be on certain tracks. So it does kind of sound like there was some sort of contentious you know stuff oh, that like was baked into how they worked come on like that's why i can't even believe they did make the second album with all like the history <laughs> and the backstory stuff for them making forever is almost a miracle because you have nine people in the super group like nine like i that's can't a lot of egos that's insane man and so yeah. like of course there's gonna be like well i'm better than method man i don't know why you got Tycho. why'd he get the fucking first album after 36 chambers like what the fuck's going on you know, I'm Rayquan. Right. Like, what the, you know, like it's. Right. Well, he got a solo album, didn't he? Yeah, he did. But it was, or many. you know, some of the stories go like, well, if I would have gone first, then instead of Method Man. and Yeah, so that it like sets up for that. Yeah, it was, it was yeah. never meant to be. Clan in the front. Let your feet stomp. Niggas on the left. Racks to death. Woods on the right. Wow for the night. Monks in the back. Come on in the track. The who is coming through. The outcome is critical. Fucking with my style. Sort of like a miracle on 34th Street. In the square of Herald, I gained Ella. The bitch caught a fits like Gerald. Dean Ferraro. Who's full of sorrow? Cause the whole didn't win. But the sun will still come out tomorrow. And shine, what they did shine, shine, like, was only gonna exist for a very short amount of time. In fact, they made it that far. Was it just the two albums? That was it? Well, no. They, so they did, uh, I'm sure you know the story, but uh, what, Martin Screlly, Skrellic, whatever the fuck his name is. Oh, that, they, yeah. They did like a reunion yeah. album that's not going to be released until yeah. we're dead, yeah, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that fucking guy. It was a fucking stupid move. It was a totally stupid move. Even Riza in Fall of Enemies, like, I cannot believe we did that. And that fucking asshole got the album. Like, it, like, it was just like, ah, come on. Of course, some billionaire, like, you know, terrible person. It couldn't have been worse if like Jeff Bezos got it. If it wasn't Skrillex, it would have been Jeff Bezos or like I don't know what they expected. Who, I mean, they literally set it up to be some billionaire butthead. I mean, you know, yeah, like, who else yeah. is going to buy it? Yeah, the worst people in the world were going to vie for that album. You know, so and what I don't understand is if you bought it, why not release it? Because you're a shit bag. That's that's what you're a shit bag. Because you're, you're a bag of shit. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're a monster who does not care about anything. And then, oh by the way, I'm going to withhold. Wu-Tang's latest out. That's what I'm going to do. You know? That's it. That was the third album. There is no other album. So there is a third album, and we can't hear it. 
apparently we can't hear it yet. I don't know. Like, you know, yeah. obviously, you know, RZA, you know, has like the master recording. I don't know what's going to happen. It's like that John Malkovich movie that our grandchildren are going to watch someday. <laughs> you, you know what I'm talking about? Like that one, it's like let's put the time capsule. It's like, yeah, we'll watch that in a hundred years. I'm like what a fucking stupid idea. <laughs> People can watch movies a hundred years from now. Anyways, you don't have to put it in a time capsule. Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Is there anything else that you wanted to get into before we uh, move on? Blake Young is responsible for like most of my musical interests, even to this day. So shout out to Blake, wherever you're at in this world. But thanks a lot, brother. Yeah. I don't know what became of him. I sure liked him in high school. Yeah. He was a good dude. Last time I heard he was in Missouri doing construction. Best to him, Absolutely. wherever he is. What song would you want to use as your soundtrack to get out of this interview? Oh, man, come on. It's got to be Chess Box. <laughs> come on. <laughs> it's got to be Chess Box. My people's all you with me where you at? In the front, in the back, killer bees on attack. My people's all you with me where you at? Smoking map, hitting cats on the block with the gas. Dude, and like I said, I've not been listening to this album for a long time, but I've been listening to it a lot last two weeks. And every time I put it on, I've been putting it on mostly like in the morning or like when I'm cleaning or doing something. And then I'm moving like immediately. It's like, you're going to fucking move to this album, you know? And then the skits are going to come and you're going to not yeah, move. You just got to get past the skits, man. <laughs> Skit, in general, if anybody is listening to this that has any type of pull in the hip hop community, recording, whatever, just get rid of the skits, man. Just, you know, keep it limited. Do like one or two. Make them their own track at the very least. For so sure, man. Blocked or skipped yeah. or whatever. Yeah, yeah. All right. So I got one more question for you. 90s kind of random 90s question. You're a bookish fellow. When I think of you post high school, I guess, is even like the days that you were living at the dungeon. Oh, God. It was just an apartment. Yeah. We called it the dungeon for some reason. It wasn't even on the bottom floor. Or you guys call it the dungeon. Um, but when I think of the dungeon, like I think of you and that Jack Kerouac's on the road that you just carried with you like everywhere. Like, oh, my God. This is a devoted reader of that books. That makes me sound like such a fucking asshole. Okay. All right. Oh, dude, I, I had Fahrenheit 451 in mine. Like, I had cargo shorts. <laughs> you just don't get it, man. I literally wore cargo shorts. So that they, I had pockets big enough to keep 451 on me at, like, all times. So I, too, was a douchebag. Don't worry. <laughs> all right. So I'm going to ask you, I spent some time, like, trying to find, like, what were the classic books? that people were reading in 1993, but I couldn't find a website for that. But according to Goodreads, here's the most popular books that were published in 1993. I'm going to give you a few of them. You tell me, you know, maybe you've read it, maybe you've not, but which book, if you're going to sit down now and read it, which one would you choose? So according to Goodreads, the number one book from 1993 that year was The Giver by Lois Lowry, which I feel like that was, I was younger when that came out, but I guess I was not. Uh, number two was Along Came a Spider. Uh, this is a James, James Patterson book. The one, uh -huh. They made that Morgan uh -huh. Freeman movie that was... And then with Tyler Perry, like uh, even more like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> You're Alex Cross? Are we sure? <laughs> or we couldn't get somebody better? No? <laughs> <laughs> then we got The Virgin Suicides by Jeffrey Eugenides. 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 Anyways, you know the, you know the, the book, yeah. Bird and Suicides. Mm -hmm. You saw the movie, at least. So that's number three. The Client oh, from John Grisham. So we got John Patterson and John Grisham. We're getting really into our airport reading options here. Yeah, for sure, man. Girl Interrupted by Susanna Kaysen. Another one I never read, but saw the movie. Saw the movie myself, too. Uh, Voyager, which is the third in the Outlander series by Diana Gabaldon. And then number seven, the last one I'll offer, which is the first in the Earthseed series from Octavia E. Butler called Parable of the Sower, which I've never read, but I hear really good things. Never about. read it either. All right. So those are your options. Parable of the Sower, The Client, Girl Interrupted, Virgin Suicides, The Giver, Along Came a Spider, 
or that Outlander number three? So I would have to go with Virgin Suicides because out of all of those, the movie adaptation is the one that resonates with me the most. And I've seen all the movies that those books are based on, mm-hmm. but the Virgin Suicides, I think. Or you've seen all the movies that were made from the books. Yeah, they were based on the books. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah course uh but uh yeah i probably have to go with the virgin suicides on that one although if we're gonna watch novelizations of films i mean you know i'd like predator 2 that would be a good one <laughs> wait that was 91 i think <laughs> no, I, would, I, yeah, I would love to see that <laughs> i'd love to read that i did try reading the novelization of once upon a time in hollywood i'm like reading i'm like man this is uh dull this is really dull Tarantino went on like podcast and like media, like fucking hype tour about that book. Right. So yeah, he was on four of the podcasts that I listened to. And I listened to two of those interviews <laughs> and the Mark Maron podcast, which was uh, actually really good. What the fuck? Yeah. yeah, that was good. Yeah. I listened to that one too. I can't remember which other one he was on. Uh, the ringer, the ringer is a big picture. He's got his own now too. He does have his own now too. Yeah. Um, so I heard those yeah. interviews. I was like, okay, I got to get this book. I freaking Amazoned it, pre-ordered it for as soon as it came out. Yep. It comes in. I'm like, this looks exactly like he said, the books of the novelizations of the movies. This is amazing. Right. And I crack it open. And I read yeah. and I'm reading. And you're bored. And you're bored. I was like, this is kind of, it's a little dumb. Like it's a little indulgence. I'm like, I don't think I needed any of these gaps filled. I really don't. I think I'll just stick with no, the movie. That's it. So you finished the book. I'm glad I didn't. I think. I did finish the book. And at the end of the book, I was like, well, I guess that goes back on the bookshelf and I will never, ever look at that thing again. I'll just be like, oh, there it is. No worries. You now have the version suicides to read. So get to work. I will. Will do. (laughs) All right, man. Well, thank you so much for coming on my podcast. It means a lot to me. And again, like it's not an album that I would have even thought to bring up myself, but I'm so glad that you made me listen to it again and uh, came on here to talk about it because it is a big part of my youth. It was a big, big influence on me. And I just kind of like, we create these narratives of our own lives, you know, mm-hmm. and you kind of pick and choose and cherry pick and whatever. And yeah, if you'd asked me, I would have been like, yeah, I liked 36 Chambers when I was a kid. But like listening to 36 Chambers, I had to sit there and think to myself, well, I also liked P. Diddy. I liked Maze. You know, I had to sit there and think like I had to confront some things like this was not the only rap album I listened to. It's certainly the best. It is the best. Oh, it's definitely the best. And like the hip hop in the 90s, like Nas comes after, you know, Nas is fucking amazing. But then you do have like the Sean Puffy Combs era of hip hop in the 90s. Yeah. Lots of guys like shouting at a video camera like in oh my a god little room that's reflective that's some garbage shit i don't care what anybody says <laughs> at the, even at the time i was like this is fucking horrible like what is like other than yeah. biggie like bad boy records was i like fucking biggie yeah ter- but anyway and then like master p and everything like there you have this confluence oh that's when i got terrible it's like the the monetization of hip-hop you know like uh dj shadow yeah if you like hip-hop check out dj shadow introducing i do like DJ shadow. that album introducing dude introducing right i got into that when it came out because i don't know if you knew andrew johnson yeah yeah he fucking got me into that album and it's so great but i'm not that crazy about more recent dj shadow stuff because i don't really like it when there's people rapping over it i liked it better when it was kind of more just like just instrumental stuff like he's the dj yeah. he's cutting stuff together yeah i like that you know i mean that album's seminal you know because it's a dj's holy grail like it's literally made out of all samples but there is a song on there it's just a quick sample and it's called what's wrong with hip-hop and whatever year the introducing came out it was like what's wrong with hip-hop now and it's literally one thing and it's the money he puts like a track on there and it's like it's the money (laughs) and it's like 40 (laughs) seconds long and that's it and that's what it was it was like i'm i'm not against people making money 
I'm definitely not, but like hip hop, that was the thing. P Diddy and like Master P and all that shit in the nineties. Like it kind of set the ground of where we were at now. Well, there's two ways to profit from art. I think that you create art and then you might incidentally profit from it. And that's great. Absolutely. But if the goal of the art is to generate as much income out of that art as you can, you're inherently going to create something inferior. For sure. Because it's not authentic. And I think that's, again, Wu-Tang, to be fair, that was their plan. That was Rizzo's plan. Cream, get the money. Exactly. And I think that's the reason why it didn't work out, right? So they exist in that time period of 93 where that album is amazing. The other stuff is weaker that, that came out after that. But man, that 36 Chambers, though, that's the perfect... I would say to me, for myself personally, that is like the perfect rabbit for me. Warts and all, even with the damn skits. But, you know, <laughs> that even that has like importance, I guess. So that's a good note to end on. All right, man. Thank you again. Thanks, bud. Death is a penalty. One justifies the homicide when he dies in his own iniquity. It's the master of the mantis rapture coming at you. We have an APB on an MC killer. Looks like the work of a master. Evidence indicates that his stature. Merciless like a terrorist. Yeah, this is the podcast where we talk about the good old days, right? Talk about the good old days, the good old days. It was great talking with Brian. He is such a smart dude. Brian doesn't bring any bullshit to the table. You know what I mean? He just brings an unflinching reality in all of my dealings with him. That's just the kind of level-headedness that he brings. It was fun talking about this with him. It was fun seeing him, hanging out with him. And it's fun hanging out with you. Thanks for listening. Really, truly appreciate it. Perhaps you want to come on the show and hang out and talk. You know, hip hop is something that is not my normal wheelhouse, but I do want to bring on a lot of hip hop albums from 93. How about doggy style? Who wants to do doggy style? Oh, that didn't sound right. Or did it? At any rate, this album came out in 1993. Everybody loved it. Who wasn't into Snoop Dogg? Who still doesn't love Snoop Dogg? Uh, My list of albums, you know, people are calling albums. It's happening. People are reserving albums to talk about. No one's picked up Doggy Style yet. Let's talk Snoop Dogg's Doggy Style. If you want to talk about that album or any other album from 93 or 94, email me at 9394podcast at gmail.com. Hit me up on Facebook. I'm fairly active there. Got Twitter. And, um... I always feel like, is there something else I'm forgetting to tell you? Is there something else? There's probably some important, I don't know. I don't know. I appreciate you. Bye-bye. Music podcast with Travis Roy is a labor of love. It is not and never will be monetized. Please don't sue.